This is The Playbook. Oh, yeah. We're here in the lobby of the Wynn Hotel with Blue Wire Studios. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs The Playbook. And I have one of my favorite running backs of all time, and that's a big deal coming from me because I've been around all of them. But what's great about Steven Jackson is most people don't know this about you, that you're the all-time rusher for the Rams. And let me tell you why. I'm going to start with the story. We were talking about the first game at the Coliseum when the Rams came back to Los Angeles. It was about 100 degrees that day. And my son is a huge Rams fan, and he was a huge Todd Gurley fan at the time. And business partners with Warren Moon. So when Warren's on the field with me, he could pull Philip Rivers from center during warm-up, right? Like, and so my son's used to that kind of treatment. I brought him and his son, which was almost impossible, him and his best friend, to almost impossible to get the field passes for these two little kids. He's like six, his friend's seven, and they want to meet Todd Gurley. And he's warming up for the very first game, and he had, wants nothing to do with Dave Meltzer. All I got was like, you know, the head shake, like, I recognize you, man, but there's no way I'm coming to meet your kids right now. And my kids thought I was the biggest loser in the world. And they're so bummed. And up from behind me, big hug, one of my great friends, Eric Dickerson. And I tell my son and his friend, hey, man, this is the greatest Rams running back of all time, maybe in the league. And this is Eric Dickerson. I said, he's better than Todd Gurley. And my son says, no, he's not. And Eric Dickerson says, he's right. I'm like, what? He goes, Steven Jackson is the greatest Rams running back of all time, not Marshall Falk. Not, and I'm, I'm like, come on, man. And, and so I go, anyway, do you guys want to take a picture with him? And they said, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice to have the all-time leading rusher for the Super Bowl champions, uh, Rams. Thanks for joining me. Dave, uh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, One correction. Uh, yeah. Beautiful, but I never had a chance to win a Super Bowl. I was, so, but you are, you definitely keep good company. I know you're great friends with E.D., Marshall. Um, the list goes on. C.J. C.J., yeah. right, right. <laughs> so all those guys. So, um, you know, it just, I'm flattered when I got the invite to come on the show because I'm a big fan of the show and yourself you. personally. So I love the stories that you share. I love the inspiration that you, you know, project out there. And I believe we're in kindred spirits and synergy in that, in that same realm. I love that, man. And one of the things I know about great running backs, whether it's Ricky Williams, you, Eric, Marshall, is I believe in the third eye. And a lot of people out there may or may not know, and they know Meltzerisms when he gets a little woo-woo about things. I, I would define the third eye of an intuition. But what's interesting about a running back, and sometimes even quarterbacks, and I've been around the game a long time, and I wish I had the talent and uh, the perseverance that you had to make it that far, but I notice an uncanny intuition, a, a sight. It's not just peripheral vision that they talk about as a running back. It's a third eye, man. There's no way. I'm watching Austin Eckler now. I do some entrepreneurial coaching with him. And his third eye capability of not seeing but feeling where people are. I'd love to ask running backs, do you actually experience that that you felt even if they were behind you gonna catch you well it's hard to catch you but if they're coming from an angle maybe right right uh, or just the whole it's uncanny and i think that people especially running backs as they leave the league they can utilize that third eye capability in business and relationships as well wow that's a really good point um no one actually outside of the sport actually been asked this question but it's a really good observation by you and the reason i say that is uh I, the whole time on the, in the field, what I routinely did was I felt the defensive line, 
but I had my eyes on the linebackers. And what I mean by that is um, linebackers, you know, they're, they're pretty much the, the opposite of the running back, but they're the same. And their job is to make sure that we don't make yards, right? So in that, they're just meaner, <laughs> a little meaner, and maybe you You're know, maybe Lewis. maybe don't have the greatest hips. <laughs> but that that's it. Um, I will always like, let's say, like a Patrick Willis, right? He was he was my guy. Awesome. He was my era. And for years, we would go against each other twice a year. And I had to learn how to chess match him because he was just as fast, just as big, and just as tenacious on the football field. Well, that said, getting the, the D-line to flow on away, right? So you have these timing steps. You had to do all these things within the play and the flow of the play. So you have to um, kind of convince the D-line you're going one direction, but at the same time, I have to keep my eyes on the linebackers, not only to track them, but to kind of throw them off. It's no different than like a Patrick Mahomes throwing a no-look pass. Right. So over the years, and as I gained you know, more experience in the game, I realized that if I stared at a linebacker to death, right, they become consumed with my, my con eye contact with them that they're not really looking at what I'm doing. They're trying to now, they're like, oh, he has to block me and think it's a pass play. Or if I look at them long enough, you know, they're thinking that, you know, they're going to beat me to the hole when the hole's somewhere else, right? So you become a magician in that sense. So that third eye and that sense of feel is exactly what makes and, and separates guys like, you know, Austin that, that you mentioned. Yeah, even if they may not be as big or as strong as or as fast as others. Yeah, I was blessed with some other attributes as well. <laughs> yeah, so is Eric Dickerson, by the way. And I know a lot of people, I always like to bring up ED because I don't want them to forget about how dominant of an athlete he was. Well, you can't forget him for two, for a various number of reasons. <laughs> but here's two that I always say you can't forget, Eric. Um, he has, the first two years of a career, he has the greatest start. Nearly 4,000 yards, right? Yeah. He went for... Uh, 1,800, and then he went for 2,000 yards his second year in the NFL, right? So you, for that alone, you can't forget him. And then his swag. Outside of Deion Sanders, I don't know if there's anybody else that has had or has more swag than ED. So for those two reasons alone, he will stand the test of time, and he has an, a, a, a smile that lights up a room. He certainly does, and so do you, by the way. And there's also an inspirational confidence uh, that you need to have in all positions to get to the highest level of whatever you do. It does take genetics, and it also takes an extraordinary amount of desire, regardless of whether you're born. And I don't care how much genetic talent you have, LeBron James to Michael Jordan to you, if you don't have that desire, you're not going to make it. Yeah, you're right, you know, especially if you're not on the greatest of teams at times, right? right. So you have to find that purpose that's bigger than you. And you mentioned desire, one of the mantras that I lived by, uh, particularly when I would go into the weight room, you had those early working um, workouts, was, you know, desire, dedication, and determination. You know, I had to check those boxes each and every day. Why am I here? Why am I showing up? And what I'm determined to, you know, achieve later on. And those things kept me going uh, when I felt like, you know, you, you get on the football field at 5 a.m., the sun's quite not up. Or you're in that, and you're in a weight room, you're lifting by yourself, or it's just you and your trainer. And, you know, you're discussing, you know, whatever it is that, you know, technique-wise you could, you could refine and get better at. It's those little nuances that separate a person. It's, you know, I'm a West Coast kid, right? So off-season, I would get up 2, 3 a.m. and head to these 24-hour gyms around, right? But I was doing that not only because I had the gym to myself, but, my, you know, the guys I was competing against on the East Coast was 6 a.m. And I knew they were getting ready to start their workout as well. So I believe, you know, work while people are sleeping and work why others don't think you're working. I call it the empty mile, and it's really interesting because I see it in business as well. 
that one of the biggest distractions or misinterpretations in business and in sports is that you go the extra mile because what you're talking about is people go the extra mile uh, and they then lie to themselves when they're not where they want to be because they went the extra mile two days ago or two weeks ago. And so they justify, well, you know, this is why I'm not where I am. But what I've learned about people that go the extra mile every day, off season and on season, is there's this empty mile. And I know you have the feeling because you've been in the gym by yourself or you probably have hit the road when it's dark and there's no cars and no people even. Yeah. And that's the feeling when I realize that although I'm not a professional athlete, when I'm running at four in the morning and not to be a professional athlete, but to experience the empty mile and say, this is what you're going to put in. Your purpose every day is going to be greater than the pain. And there's this sense of confidence and inspiration that comes to you by living in that empty mile, going the extra mile every day to live to your potential. And so many people get lost that have that while they play, but they can't find their purpose for a new kind of pain when they get off the field. How are you able to transcend that so well that you know that routine was gone the purpose was gone there had to be a new purpose how did you find that you know I, I think you know towards the middle to the latter part of my career I started looking for what's next right and there were several different things I try to check off right you try to be a producer you try to do all these different things right <laughs> and um, you realize either you don't have enough experience or the connections but one thing I did know and I could lean on was that work ethic and and long and, and and I built around myself scheduling, right? So, uh, for instance, if every day I knew I had team meeting at 8 a.m., and now that there's a void there, I could, I could fill that void with something else at that 8 a.m. timeline, right? So I just actually just copied and pasted what we had as a schedule in the National Football League, and then I would just put it into my own personal life, right? Team meetings, individual meetings, weightlifting, da-da-da-da, right? So you, you have this outline for yourself, and I just whited it out and then – built in those things that I want to accomplish for the day. And then I, as I would do that more and more, I realized I'd become refined in what it is that I was trying to achieve. That was what helped for me. When you talk about going the extra mile and working out, that's the sense of euphoria, right? It's that, that downloading, that third eye, where I'm, I'm out there by myself and I'm working out. And now I'm having these conversations and I'm hitting this threshold and now I'm exhausted and I have to keep going. And when you hit that second win, it's, you know, it's euphoria. So you, now you're going and you're going. And you, you stop thinking about what you're actually participating in because now you're, just, you're taking in all this and it's just coming at you a thousand miles, you know, a thousand, whatever, you know, that is. But I began to fall in love with that. And but that happened to me way back in high school. And I never, never, you know, got away from that. And that's probably another reason why I was able to transition in the way I have. One of the things that I help a lot of athletes when they transition is to because I can speak the vernacular at least and I've experienced what it's like, not at the same level, but to play at a competitive level, when they get into the world of business, it's interesting because they're so used to, I play for this team and it's very difficult to get on a new team. It's easier today than it was back then, but it's interesting because you talked about, you know, I tried being a producer, I tried this. Well, you know, Pat Mahomes, for example, who's represented by Lee, uh, by the way, if they put him on the Cleveland Browns, he'd be stuck with the Cleveland Browns. And I promise you, from my knowledge of football, he would not have a Super Bowl. He would not be the MVP. He'd be a very good quarterback on a very bad team. And he can't play defense. He can't play special teams. And he can't block. Um, and that's what I love about football. Yeah. 
But in business, I see so many quarterbacks or athletes that have all of these extraordinary skills and spirits of excellence, and they get into a business, and it was like being drafted by the Browns. But the only difference is you're not locked into the Browns, bro. Right, right. right. <laughs> the Chiefs are right here. Yeah. You know, let me introduce you to the coach of the Chiefs because they would love to have you. And don't think that it's the same loyalty, the same structure, the same routine. You, you don't have to live by experiencing something and realize, you know what, I'm better suited for this system over here. Uh, it's an area that a lot of athletes don't see, and they end up losing a lot of opportunity or sometimes even their money because they buy some franchise and they think they, they're they very loyal. They stick to it. And I try to say, no, no, you're a free agent. Yeah. How can I help uh, athletes like that? Because you're someone that's in it and say, hold on, it's time to evolve. You're not failing. Right. You're just moving to a different team. I think it's having a, a real conversation with yourself, right? There's an end date at some point. We all just rent those lockers. We don't own them, right? <laughs> right? We just right. rent those lockers for a time. So I was that loyal person. I was with, you know, I was in St. Louis for nine years, right? So there comes that conversation that you need to have with yourself and the reality of things do move on and there may be better opportunities. But even when you put yourself in those better opportunities, you have to start over. You have to have that humility of saying, yeah, I do have the experience. I do know what I know. But this culture here may be a little different. I need to sit back and, you know, kind of adapt to that or see what that culture is. Or there's also areas of opportunity where you may be really good at there, but they have someone that's suffice in that area as well. So where do you, how do you learn a new skill? How do you sharpen your tools in the tool belt so that you can be of, of, of more value in the new situation that you put yourself in, to your point? So when you're winning and you're going on to these different teams using that Patrick Mahomes analogy you just used, yes, he would be a very good quarterback on any team in the National Football League, but it's that, it's that supporting cast around him that makes him great. You know, there's the training staff, there's a, a, those coordinators. You know, it's a lot of people that put him in position to win. And then that God-given talent that he has just takes it over the top. Well, we all have God-given talent. It's about finding or recruiting that team around you and you being open enough and vulnerable enough to say, hey, this is what I need. This is the areas that I lack. You know, I see something in you that I wish i see in myself. And then that becomes a true, you know, uh, transfer of, of knowledge and, and wisdom. And you have obviously an old soul, extreme wisdom about you. Um, how much of that is genetics where you learned it from your parents, grandparents, et cetera? And how much is it from the things that you read and exposed yourself to? Uh, because usually, like when I talk to Ricky Williams, who has a very similar perspective on things, very enlightened perspective of inner you know, excellence that then portrays itself outwards, how much is genetic? you know, that, that family, and then how much did you, like, pursue reading, you know, Course of Miracles or, or something yeah. like that? So uh, you have a really good intuition. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I would say a lot of it, the family base, right, home base. My mom was a minister, uh, is a minister, and my father a Marine, right? So that hard work ethic. What that, a great combination. Right, right, way. just show up first, <laughs> you know, don't leave, um, nobody behind kind of mentality. Is, that was built early, foundation and then my mom with faith, right? So, you know, never giving up and trusting that something's greater is coming. So that's the, uh, the, the, the chemistry that was formed in me to get me to where I got to the National Football League. And then there was something that happened to me individually that only I could have to deal with and overcome. And that was uh, second grade. I had a miserable experience with a teacher. 
um, a year that was very hard for me. I wasn't the greatest teach, uh, reader, right? And I, I recall those instances in class, right, being called out. And this is when, you know, you were bringing students to the front of the class and da-da-da-da. So in that, there was, I, be, I began to just go into a shell. And I became a shell of who I, my mom knew me to be. And from that, you know, my mom started putting me in reading camps. And my mom started getting me all these outside uh, resources to help me overcome that. And once I realized that you know, there's other topics to read of interest, there's other, you know, there's other areas to go for confidence, I began to read more and more. And to your point, um, psychology, you know, some of these uh, autobiographies that I enjoy reading, and even some religious stuff from time to time. Um, reading, these, reading these stories and seeing a theme in them, and then you, combinate, you, combin, uh, you combine that with travel, you know, I'm a world traveler, so you start to see these, these themes just reoccur over and over again, and it just broadened my life outlook on things. Yeah, I always tell people the process is what are we getting our clues from, where do we see our patterns, and that allows us to make better choices. For sure. And being able to have great parents like yours and then be able to you know that it, it's interesting. Another thing that I think about when you tell your story is that no matter who you are, and I want to thank you for your vulnerability, uh, because you know, a lot of big time ball players aren't gonna talk about how their feelings were hurt in the second grade by a teacher. But I think it's important for people like you, and it's why I did so many PSAs as a sports agent, you know, because if Evander Holyfield gets on a commercial and says real men don't hit women, it means something. Right. But in that meaning is important because I find that hyper-successful and enlightened people like you give the meaning to the inflection points, the defining moments of their life. Even if it sounds as silly as a second grade teacher, you know, made me feel bad or hurt me or inhibited me from learning, which a lot of teachers do and they don't realize it. Yeah. Uh, she probably didn't do it intentionally, but that's probably happens all the time you know are there other points for you because you seem to be very enlightened in the fact that I'm going to give the meaning to these tough times to help me propel me promote me and protect me because of my faith I think I think it's important to right I, I, well I I feel that way it's important to because a lot of times people just look at me and say well your DNA you know you, you look how big and strong you are and fast blah 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 and things worked out for you and they want to disregard all the hard work and that hard work is not only happening physically but it has to happen mentally and emotionally and and when you talk about those aspects mentally particularly that's something that anybody can you know really put themselves at work on and work on themselves there so I try to put my put myself in a place where I'm meeting you halfway and if you wanted to meet me halfway I'm willing to walk with you side by side so when I tell these stories of like, you know, school behavior stuff and all these other things that I've had to overcome in my life, it's, it's to have the person come along on the journey and not just see me in the helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, which is, yeah. you know, whether, you know, when I was running the most notable sports agency or you're playing for, you know, the greatest show on turf or wherever we're doing, there becomes this glamorized stuck that, you know, everyone else feels as if your life is perfect and you still have a life. And I have this great saying I've been telling everyone, man, if you ain't making mistakes, God made a mistake. Because right. there's no reason for you to be here. Right. 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 And everybody's stuck in some way, which means they're trying and they're trying to figure it out. And there's pain, setbacks, failures, and mistakes that they're making. And it makes it worse when you're living your life and everyone glamorizes your life because of one aspect of your life. And, you know, I'm happily married for 25 years. And 
I'm okay if people can glamorize my marriage, but it pisses me off. I'm like, well, your your wealth or or your podcast or what? Yeah. I'm like, no, man. Like, you know, it, it, it's difficult because I feel all this pressure uh, in this glamorized state, even after you're done playing, that people think your life's perfect because you're an all-time rusher or you're strong, fast, and smart. You know, you're still human. How do you deal with that expectation? Because a lot of people end up self-sabotaging and not feeling worthy because of people think too highly of you. Yeah, I think um, my parents, you know, uh, like you and your wife, uh, long, long marriage, 53 years for them, right? I'm so, working on that. Right, right. So, <laughs> and, and I'm in year, going into year three of mine. So Congrats. for me, for me, I have new new things I want, benchmarks that I want to strive to achieve. And every day when I work up and there may be disagreement between uh, my wife and I, I, I have to look back at my mom and dad relationship wasn't perfect. I had a front, I had a front row seat of that. Yeah. And a lot of people are thinking things are just going to be rosy, but it's not, you know. Um, and I, I was just fortunate enough to have um, an example set for me to know that you have to just continue to strive to work together. And you can lean on the on the better days than the than the bad days, and they compile them up like you know, um, you know, interest, right? Right? Yeah, it's like your exactly. compound interest, right? <laughs> yeah, that compound interest either is greater wealth than that. And I just kind of look have that outlook about relationships and, and myself personally. Yeah, people ask me all the time what the greatest part of my marriage is, and I always say the day my wife said she was leaving me, yeah, because I would be dead, yeah, if she didn't tell me that. Yeah, that's how much she loved me. Yeah. Sorry to choke up, but anyway, my friend, you live here in Las Vegas. We're here all the time. The people, everyone in our community mourns of Steven Jackson because your wisdom out surpasses your records, bro. It's so nice to finally sit down with you, learn from you and anything I can do for you while we're here. We're at SoFi Stadium. I'll bring back the Rams days for you because yeah. you get to go there. Please join me anytime. Everyone follows Steven Jackson. He's a hero on and off the field, obviously. And uh, come back and visit me here at the Wind. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. This is David Meltzer here at the Blue Wire Studios in the lobby of the Wynn Hotel with the incredible Steven Jackson. Thanks for joining me.